a real joy to be here this morning. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Jenny, uh, our three kids, Evan, Owen, and Nora, and my parents actually came from Green Bay, so um, I'm really excited to be here. I, we live in Cedar Rapids and attend a Redeemer Church there, where my wife and I lead a small group, and it's just a real encouragement to be here with other people who love Jesus, who want to see him made famous in eastern Iowa, and so it is a joy. Um, this morning, I'm going to be taking us through the book of Proverbs and God's wisdom for us in parenting. And the truth is, Proverbs has a lot of wisdom for us as parents. Proverbs paints a picture of a father who is patient and kind and yet firm, a father who's driven by a heart that longs for his children's good. This is a father who understands the stakes associated with parenting and uh, cares for his children well. And my hope and prayer this morning as we study the book of Proverbs is that we would see that wise parenting is empowered and informed by God's fatherly love for us, and that this love is shown most clearly at the cross. So to put it another way, wise parenting isn't about what you know, it's about who you know. If you've been here this summer, you've heard that line before. Uh, This is because wisdom is about knowing and loving God, it's about reflecting his character, and that only comes from a heart that's been transformed by the gospel and filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray this morning. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for the chance to preach. Um, Thank you so much for your word, God, for your Holy Spirit that makes your word come alive. And and God, I just pray that the gospel would be really, really clear this morning, that you would encourage us and convict us as you see fit. We just trust you for that. Amen. So I think this topic merits a few caveats before we dive in. Um, I just want to recognize that for some people, talking about parenting is really difficult. Uh, For some of you, maybe you and your spouse have been trying to get pregnant for a long time, and that hasn't been working out the way that you wanted, and it's hard to hear a sermon on parenting because of that. Maybe for some of you, um, you know, you've lost a son or a daughter, and I just want to say that Jesus cares desperately about your situation this morning. Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. So if you have pain that you're going through this morning hearing about this topic, I just want you to be encouraged that Jesus cares desperately for you, that we don't have a high priest who can't empathize with that, and I just pray that you hear about his love for you shown on the cross. I think for some of us, too, it can be really easy to tune out a sermon on parenting. Maybe you're really young, and parenting's a long way off, or at least you hope it is. Um, Maybe some of you are single. And you're called to singleness. You don't see parenting as part of the future God's called you to. Maybe you're older and your kids are having kids or your grandkids are having kids. I don't think anyone fits in that category yet. Um, But I think there's two really practical reasons to tune in. And and the first really is the, the more practical of the two, I suppose. It's that we all interact with kids and parents at some point, whether it be our own parents, uh, friends of ours who have young children, um, or maybe our nieces and nephews and our grandkids, we want to know God's wisdom for parenting because we want to know how to love our children, our friends' children well, rather, and we want to know how to love our parents well. Like This is relevant to all of us because even if we don't have our own kids living with us in our home, uh, this is, there's chances to apply this wisdom. But the second reason is the one I'm actually more excited about. See, in John chapter 1, verse 14, God says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the phrase I want you to hang on to there is the Son who came from the Father. 
We see from eternity past, before the foundations of the world were laid, God existed as a father and as a son and a Holy Spirit. And in, in that trinity, God is loving himself. He is glad about what he sees. This isn't something that just happened when Jesus set foot on earth, but this truth about God and, and his son, Jesus, has always been there. So when we hear wisdom from God about parenting, more than anything, we're hearing God tell us about himself, which is what makes this so relevant for all of us. So Proverbs. Um, if you've been here at River City this summer, you've been hearing preaching through this book, um, but just by way of introduction, if, if maybe this is your first time being here this, this morning, Proverbs is one of three books known as wisdom literature, and Proverbs can be a really challenging book to study and to preach from. <laughs> so Proverbs, if you read it through, each verse for a large portion of that book, read as kind of individual sayings. You know, so a lot of Christians, right, we think of Proverbs as this book in the Bible, but really Proverbs is just a word for wise saying. Um, and of course, the, the Proverbs in the Bible are the ones that are inspired and, and written by God. Um, but in studying the book of Proverbs this summer, I feel like there's three primary truths God has to speak to us about his fatherly love and how it applies to parenting. And the first truth is this. Wise parenting is characterized by knowing what's at stake. Okay, wise parenting is characterized by knowing what's at stake. Proverbs 10, verse 1 says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Okay, and this, this proverb gets repeated with a slight rewording several times throughout this book. And I think maybe as you know, parents of, of children, this can seem kind of obvious, that our children's behavior has an effect on us. It's kind of what this boils down to. So, Owen, my three-and-a-half-year-old, who's super cute and roly-poly, um, a couple weeks ago was following uh, Jenny, my wife, around the house. And at one point, Owen says, Mom, I'm following you. And she's like, uh-huh, like I've noticed. And he says, it's because I love you. It's out of the blue, right? Sometimes you give a kid a cookie and he says, I love you. And you're like, okay, that's sweet. But like, this seemed really genuine and kind of just from the heart. And of course, you know, Jenny was really happy to hear that. I was really happy to hear the story after I got home from work. Um, and other times our, our kids fight, our boys fight, and, and they can be a, a trial and a, and a sorrow in those moments. So what's, what's the big deal here? What's the insight and the wisdom God has for us in saying that your kids can make you happy or sad? What's the big deal? Well, I would guess if you were to ask a parent of an adult child that you would see how much more their children can have an effect on you. You see, day by day when your kids are young, you can have a bad afternoon, but if you raise a child who loves Jesus, who's chasing after Jesus and caring about others and seeking their good, this can be a tremendous source of joy for you. Hello. And likewise, if you have a child who's selfish and just, you know, focused on themselves and, and maybe not seeking the things of God, this can be a real trial and a sorrow. But I would say that God wants us to zoom out even further. And consider eternity this morning. Not only our own, but the eternity of our children. You see, one day, every one of our children will stand before the throne of God. And they will either be to him a source of gladness or a sorrow. C.S. Lewis, who I'm a huge nerd for, um, has this really long quote <laughs> that I hope you bear with that talks about the seriousness of living 
with people who are going to live forever. And I just encourage you to give him a little bit of poetic license when you hear this. This is from his sermon, The Weight of Glory. He says, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you know may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as now you meet, if at all, only in your nightmare. All day long, we, in some degree, are helping each other to one or another of these destinations, and it is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, with the awe and circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct all of our dealings with each other. All friendships, all loves, all play, and all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never spoken to a mere mortal. Nation, cultures, arts, and civilizations, these are mortal. And their lives are to ours but the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, whom we work with, marry, snub, and exploit. You see, wise parenting is characterized by knowing what's at stake. And wise parenting is empowered and informed by God's fatherly love for us. You see, we often fail to keep this perspective because we can be so caught up in the moment raising our kids that we forget that they're going to be alive 100 billion years from now. The truth is, though, that God, being the loving, perfect Father that he is, always keeps this perspective. Psalm 103, verse 14 says, He knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. You see, God knows where we came from, he knows where we're going, and he cares for us knowing where it is we need to be. The second major truth I see in the book of Proverbs, it's wisdom for us as parents, is that wise parenting is characterized by loving discipline. Wise parenting is characterized by loving discipline. Proverbs 13, verse 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Likewise, in chapter 19, verse 18, we hear, Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Let's look at these passages a little bit more. What is this language that's really severe about a rod and, and discipline? So I would argue that discipline certainly means there needs to be consequences for wrong behavior. But ultimately, discipline is about giving your children categories for right and wrong, for good and evil, for the holy and the profane. I would argue, too, this morning, my primary job is not to tell you how to do this. Let me plug small groups again. This is an amazing place where community fits into discipleship, where we can meet with brothers and sisters who know and love Jesus, who can share wisdom and experiences that they've had as well as their sin and come to have good frameworks and rhythms and patterns as a family. I think, too, it can be tempting to say, well, don't we already know this? Doesn't Romans argue that, you know, from the foundations of the world, God has made it clear to mankind that there's good and there's evil, we have no excuse? That's true. The truth is we're not born loving good and hating evil. This is a hard truth this morning. But Psalm 51, verse 5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, Sinful since the time my mother conceived me. You see, the truth is we're not born neutral to God. We're born loving darkness and hating light. You see, we want to believe we're born neutral, and I'm often tempted to believe this myself, but it's just not true. And apart from Jesus, this is where we stay. Without his blood shed on the cross, rescuing us from our sin, we stay in that darkness. You see, our, our sin is a bigger deal than we think. 
Our sin is not primarily about the things we do. It's about who we are. This is a condition, a heart disease, so to speak, that we come into this world with. And so discipline can help us understand how wicked sin is. This can be confusing. You can say, okay, preacher from Cedar Rapids, like, I thought we were saved by believing in Jesus. We just sang these songs about it. Um, I've even mentioned it a couple times, not by getting consequences for our sin. Like, don't my children just need to under, excuse me, experience grace and like forgiveness and patience? Absolutely. Reflect God's character of patience, of loving kindness. But the truth is, we want our children to believe the gospel. Gospel literally means good news. If you want a two-word definition of the gospel, that's what it is. It's good news. But the hard truth is you only believe the good news if you believe the bad news. You see, the cross only makes sense in light of our sin. If our sin is not a big deal, if we have not offended God who is holy and beautiful and righteous and loves what is good and hates what is evil, if we don't see ourselves as guilty before him, The cross isn't a big deal. It's not beautiful. It's not worth living for. It's trite. It's meaningless. It's something to hang on a necklace. Cross necklaces are great. I'm not bashing cross necklaces. (laughs) But it's not a powerful symbol. The cross is only beautiful if our sin is ugly. So what does discipline look like, and how does it help us do this? The truth is discipline helps our kids to be broken for their sin. Revisiting the Proverbs here, 1918, again, do not be a willing party to their death. You see, the author of the Proverbs died. Solomon died. The other authors died. Right? Their children died. Their parents died. This is not the death they're talking about. They're talking about the eternal death, separation from God, the consequences of our sin. But discipline can drive into our children a a hatred for sin. They can see that sin is bad. These simple truths can come alive to a, a young child because they know that their parents don't tolerate sin and that they love Jesus and they love what is good. I think it's important to know that what does this look like? How are we supposed to discipline? And again, I'm not here to primarily give you tools and tricks. I believe I want to drive at your affections this morning. But Proverbs 13, verse 24 says, the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Guys, this has to be done lovingly. And I fail at it constantly. I so often discipline my kids because they're inconvenient. I don't discipline them so that they can live. See, the hard truth is my kids will have memories of a father who is quick to anger, not slow to anger, and I grieve over that. But God the Father disciplines us this way. In Hebrews 12, it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and chastises everyone he accepts as son. You see, God in his fatherly love, because of what Jesus does, doesn't treat us according to what our sins deserve. But for our good, and yes, sometimes severely, he shapes and molds us to become more like Jesus. Third truth that I see in Proverbs for us as parents is that wise parenting is characterized by persistent exhortation. Wise parenting is characterized by persistent exhortation. So right out the gate in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, we hear, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. 
Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Likewise, Proverbs 3.1 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. See, here we see a father who's looking out for his children's good. He wants them to know that he wants them happy. You listen to the language again, a graceful garland and pendants. This is painting a picture of riches and royalty and a crown, length of days and peace they will add to you. We do this when we play with our kids, when we show them affection, when we listen to their stories and care about the coloring and the drawings they've done. This looks like getting on the floor and showing your kids that they matter. You see, I often don't show this. At River City, you guys have been talking about uh, source idols, and I know that because I've been creeping on your SoundCloud. Um, But source idols are just this helpful category for different things we worship other than God. So if you're like me, maybe you worship guitars. Okay, well, let's boil that down a little bit. What is you really getting at? And for me, uh, a source idol for me is comfort. Maybe yours is power or control. For me, it's comfort. I just want immediate physical comforts. And so I often don't get on the floor or hang out with my kids because I'd rather be on my phone, because I'd rather just disappear and have time for myself, and that the rest is good, but not at the expense of my children knowing Jesus. But guys, God does this so well. Throughout the Old and the New Testament, God is constantly imploring us to come and draw near to him. Matthew 23, 37 says it this way, Jesus, looking over the city of Jerusalem, He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, those who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you, to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. See, God is literally showing mother love here, this instinct God has to nurture and care for us. See, God implores us to turn from sin, turn to Jesus, and die to ourselves because he knows it's for our good, and yes, ultimately for his glory. But those things are not in competition with one another. The whole goal of raising children is to see our sons and daughters become our brothers and sisters in Christ, to see our offspring become our siblings, to raise kids who treasure God more than anything else. And if you've heard nothing else so far this morning, I hope that you've heard that God is a loving Father and that we fall so short of what He demands. Why do we fail at this? fail because of our sin, but I want to give us two helpful categories to think through that sin. I think the first is that we don't know God as a loving father. And for some of you, I mean that in a definitive way. It may be possible that you've never actually trusted Jesus, and I don't know many of you, but maybe you've been coming to church your whole life. It's kind of an exercise of the will, something you were raised to do, but you never actually sat at God's feet and said, God, I need help. I want to hate my sin. I want to love you. I want you to take over. The cross is beautiful. My sin is wicked. Save me. To those people, I'd say God wants you to come to know him as a loving father for the first time this morning. But still, as Christians, we often believe lies about who God is. Some of us might see him as ready to crush us at the first sign of weakness. Others see him as cold and distant and uncaring. Some of us don't see him as strong and dependable to guard us from the things that come after us the attacks of the enemy. What other lies are you believing about God? 
Because without seeing God as a loving father, how are we going to raise our children to show them that God's a loving father through our actions? See, I think the second reason we can fail at this is that we worship our children instead of Jesus. This is called idolatry. I would contend that this is one of the more acceptable idols in our culture today, to pour out time and affection and treasures on our children that should be placed on the, at the foot of the cross. I think this can be really confusing, too, because God calls us to love our children well. We just heard all this exhortation about how to raise your children and show them God's fatherly love. At the same time, Jesus says, if you want to be his disciples, you must hate your own mother and father, brothers and sisters, even your own life to come after him. And it doesn't mean that you wish them harm, but rather that your love for God would outweigh your love for your own family, your own flesh and blood, by a huge amount. So how do we see if we're even doing this? How do we know if we're just loving our children well or worshiping them and putting the weight of our worship on our offspring? Again, small groups... (laughs) Community is so vital to be able to see what's going on, what our hearts are worshiping, to hear that truth. But let me offer just from the pulpit or music stand just one or two questions that might help you kind of understand. When you dream about your kid's future, what do you imagine? When you think 10 years down the road for them or 20 years down the road, what comes to mind? Maybe your kids struggle socially. Oh, let me back up. (laughs) If dreaming is too abstract, think how do you pray for them or maybe how should you be praying for them? See, maybe your kids struggle socially. They struggle to make friends and and you pray, God, like just help my kids to make friends at school. Maybe your kids are sick. You have a, a child who's sick. They've been struggling with something for a long time and you pray for them by saying, God, will you just heal my son or my daughter? Maybe they struggle academically. God, give my son or daughter good grades. They struggle so much at school. Help them. These are good things to pray for. God wants to give good gifts to his children. Maybe God's given you some of that eternal perspective we were talking about earlier from Proverbs chapter 10, and you pray, God, I see that sin is a big deal, and I see that your cross is totally sufficient. Make my son or daughter a believer. Make them believe in you, Jesus. Make them believe in the gospel. But I want to push us. What would it look like to pray? I said that too fast. What would it look like to pray that our children treasure Jesus more than anything else? What would it look like if we pray knowing that they might be ridiculed by their classmates for prioritizing Jesus? That their teenage years might be difficult or that they might be called to not go to college and instead go on missions and embrace reaching unreached people groups? What if God calls them to take big risks for them, for him, rather? What if we pray, God, no matter what it takes, no matter what it costs my wife and I, no matter what it costs our children, make them treasure and love you more than anything else? You see, this is scary because the very notion of our kids suffering is awful to us as parents. So my my two sons are five and three and a half, and uh, they're close enough together to be on the same t-ball team. And so they were in T-ball this summer, and it was super fun. Um, And it was after one of their games at night. uh, We were in the front yard having popsicles, and I'm hanging out with my daughter, who turns two in a few days. And I love her. She looks just like her mom. I love the things she says and how she waddles around, how she smiles and laughs. And this stupid wasp. (laughs) I hate wasps. Um, No wasps in heaven. Just a word of prophecy, like right now. (laughs) 
They don't exist. This stupid wasp uh, just starts flying around her face, and I'm afraid it's going to get in her hair and sting her. And so I grab her like there's a guy with a gun in the driveway, right? And I'm getting between her and this bee because in that moment, I'd rather be stung a thousand times than have her be stung once. And that's not because I'm so great. Any parent who will tell you this, this is how you feel about your kids. So how am I supposed to pray that my daughter would embrace the high cost of discipleship and chase after Jesus no matter what it costs her? Guys, we can't do this. We can't make our children believe in Jesus. How do we bridge the gap between God's holiness and purity, the high cost of discipleship, and our sin and our inconsistency and sin as parents? You see, the whole Bible talks about Jesus and the gospel, and that includes the book of Proverbs. The first time I read through it, I found it hard to find, and now I, I see it so clearly by God's grace in my study this summer. Listen to this from Proverbs 22. Pay attention and turn your ear to the sayings of the wise. Apply your heart to what I teach. Okay, so listen to the Proverbs. For it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have them ready on your lips. Right? So he's saying literally these, these are sayings worth memorizing, knowing, mulling over in your mind. Why? Verse 19 says, so that your trust may be in the Lord. You see, the point of the Proverbs is not that we have useful tips and tricks and life hacks. It's that our trust would be in Jesus. And if you've heard nothing else this morning, again, I hope that you've heard that God is a loving Father, but that we can't live up to the demands that the Proverbs show. You see, godly parenting is not about what you know, it's about who you know. And God sets the bar so high for parenting and discipleship, he shows us that we need Jesus to bridge the gap for us. You see, Jesus does this on the cross as he bleeds for his enemies. And we can see that he's sufficient because he fulfills the Proverbs we've been talking about this morning. You see, Jesus is the wise son who makes his father glad. We see this at the baptism of Jesus where the heavens are opened up. And God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is the one who takes on his father's persistent exhortation. In Luke 22, we see that Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. The night before he was crucified, on reaching the place, he tells his disciples, pray so you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. See, Jesus took on the hard words of his father perfectly, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what's more, he took on more than discipline, but the wrath of God for sin. This is so we can receive God as Father. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, instead of loving discipline, Jesus received the full wrath of God for sin. And in turn, we get to be adopted as sons and daughters when we believe and trust in him. And we get his gentle, kind discipline instead. Not only does Jesus fulfill the Proverbs, but to those who trust in Jesus... The Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. Romans 8.11 says, The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that same power, 
sorry. I went from quoting the Bible to not quoting the Bible. Let's start over. <laughs> Romans 8.11 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You see, to parents who know and trust and love Jesus, God is literally living inside of you right now. And so there is peace for you when your kids are fighting and disobeying. There's strength for you when you're up the fourth time in the night feeding your baby. There's hope to offer your children when they're sick or when they're scared or when you are. See, godly parenting is empowered and characterized by God's fatherly love for us. And this love is available because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the sufficiency of your blood. God, thank you so much that you saved us. God, that we get to be adopted as sons and daughters of God because of what you did. And so, God, I pray that as we sing, as we worship, as we take of uh, the bread and the cup, that we would just receive that new life you have for us as a free gift. We pray this in your name. Amen.